It's really important to realize that stress literally steals your sex hormones. And the reason is that they work in balance. So whenever you're stressed, your body is driven to produce more cortisol, which is the main stress hormone. And in order to increase production of cortisol, it needs to suppress production of estrogens, for example, because again, they work in balance. The body needs to use the same precursor, which is pregnenolone, to make either sex hormones or cortisol. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome, everyone, to the Mind Valley podcast. Today with me is Dr. Lisa Mosconi. She's written two amazing books, The XX Brain and brain food. She's been featured everywhere from the Washington Post and New York Times. So Lisa, for the longest time, wanted to be a brain scientist. She witnessed her grandmother and her two sisters spiral into dementia when she saw that her motivation only grew stronger. Today, she has a degree in neuroscience, nuclear medicine, and nutrition. She acts as the associate professor of neuroscience at the Vile Cornell Medical College and serves as director of the Women's Brain Initiative and associate director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic. Today, as you can imagine, we're going to be talking about the female brain. This is the subject of Lisa's book, The XX Brain. So if you're a woman, in fact, if you're a man who lives with a woman or loves women or has a daughter, this is so relevant for you as well. You're going to learn about how to truly care for the female brain. This is why this conversation is so interesting. And we are recording this in front of a live audience. So many of you Mind Valley members who are here with us today are going to be able to ask questions as well. And given we're going to be talking about the female brain, and I have a male brain, I wanted to balance things out a bit. So I invited Bianca Iona, who is from Romania. She is um, a Mind Valley community manager. And also, coincidentally, she is an 11 time world karate champion to participate in this interview as well. Uh, so Bianca, welcome. This is your first Mind Valley podcast. Am I correct? Thank you so much, Vishen. <laughs> and That's Lisa, great. welcome to this conversation. There's so much to talk about. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so impressed with Bianca 11 times. That's incredible. Well, that's been a long time ago, but uh, definitely it's been um, one of my favorite periods of my life. And that shaped my brain, that shaped my destiny and maybe the way that I'm thinking, that I'm acting. So I'm grateful for it. <laughs> Thank you. That's wonderful. So yes. Lisa, I want to get yes. started with the first question. So you yes. mentioned in your book that medical research so far has focused on what you call bikini medicine. Yes. which means that women are essentially men with breast and tubes. So in your book, The XX Brain, you confront this crisis by revealing how two powerful X chromosomes that distinguish women from men actually impact the female brain in a way very different from the male brain. Let's start there. Yes. Yeah, so, so a lot of my research has really been focused on, we say sex differences, I think, Perhaps gender differences is a more gentle way to put that, but there are actual sex differences in brain aging and brain health and neurology and psychiatry that have been overlooked for 
centuries. And as a neuroscientist, I've always been puzzled by the lack of research on this topic, because you can ask any man or any woman, like our brains absolutely the same. And most people go, oh, not quite. Like I notice differences and maybe it's just psychology, maybe it's just my own experience. But I think at the population level, we do know that there are differences between the genders that are not that are not necessarily qualitative. It's not like my brain is better than yours or your brain is better than mine. They're just important in terms of biology because biology is function and all of us, we really want to perform our best. We want to live our best lives. We want to have the longest possible and the healthiest possible lives and their brains are crucial for health at any age. And actually I think we all tend to realize how important brain health is as we get a little bit older, right? When we're younger, it's all about your body and exercising and feeling a certain way or looking a certain way and also being healthy, but it's more in terms of bodily function. And I think as soon as you hit midlife, or as soon as you're past like 30, you realize that your brain is really your major asset, one of your major assets, but definitely an important part of you. And what was very unpleasant for me as a scientist is that there's a lot of bias against women, not just in society, but also medicine. In a way, our needs are constantly overlooked, unacknowledged, unaddressed, and women's brain health in particular remains one of the most under-researched, under-diagnosed, and under-treated and underfunded fields of medicine. And it started with Darwin. Did you know that? So Darwin is the father of modern biology, and he was not exactly in favor of women's intellect. He started by saying that women's brains were inherently inferior to men's brains, not different, Darwin's inferior. That's wow. how we start. That's how biology was born. Women were class B, you know, and a lot of science afterwards was really focused on proving Darwin right and finding rational explanations, finding evidence that women's brains might have some issues relative to men's brains. In particular, the women's brains are smaller than men's brains, but that is because women tend to be smaller than men on average. So our heads are smaller, our brains are proportionally smaller, but the density of our brain cells is the same. And then women's brains go through transformations that just specifically do not happen to men's brains that we never talk about. Like what happens to our brains with puberty, with pregnancy, with menopause. These are all the things that I, that I study. So you've gone really deep in this research. For example, yeah. you and your colleagues published a few studies that observed in detail what happens to the brain through the menopause transition. Tell us about that. What is the connection between menopause and a woman's brain? So this is very new research, and I'm very happy that I am doing this research in that there was no research until we started doing it, which I find so puzzling. But it all started with the realization that women's brains change during menopause. And this is something that nobody seems to be aware of. And this is puzzling to me as a woman and as a scientist, because women are half of the population. All women have brains, right? All women go through menopause. And the vast majority of women feel like there's a change happening in their brains 
is then navigate that particular phase of a woman's life, which is, by the way, is not a switch. It's not like all of a sudden overnight you're in menopause. You were not in menopause and now you are. Menopause is a really long transitional phase that impacts our brains as much as it impacts our ovaries. And we're all aware that the ovaries are involved, but we don't realize their brains are involved as well. So when women say that they're having hot flashes, which by the way, happen to pregnant women as well, not just menopausal women, but for the purpose to, you know, just to answer your question, as you go through menopause, women experience the hot flashes, the nice sweats, insomnia, anxiety, depression, brain fog, memory lapses. Those symptoms don't start in the ovaries. Those symptoms start in your brain. Those are neurological symptoms. We're just not we're just not used to thinking about them that way. And the other problem is that, again, going back to the bikini medicine point, when you go through menopause, you go to an OBGYN. You don't go to a neurologist. You don't go to a psychiatrist. You don't go to a psychologist. There's no framework for supporting women's brains during menopause, during pregnancy, ever. So this is what we're doing. And bikini medicine is basically saying that from a medical perspective, the only things that make a woman a woman are those parts of the body that fit under a bikini. So our breasts and our tubes, which uh-huh. is a reductive understanding of what a woman is to start with. So what are some of the things that women can do to basically understand their brain as they go through the stages of menopause? So one thing that women can do is to realize that their ovaries and their brains are connected. We are systems, and I find that modern medicine is biased in that we're used to thinking about our bodies as the number of bits and parts that magically become a person, right? But their brain is in connection and is, is connected to the ovaries via a system. It's called the neuroendocrine system, where the ovaries talk to the brain, and the brain talks back to the ovaries every single day of our lives as women. So if something changes in the ovaries, something will change in the brain as well. Only we didn't have the research to prove it. So what we have been doing is a lot of brain scans where we follow women over time. And we also, other studies have looked at pregnancy and now we're looking at menopause. And what we have shown, actually we just published this enormous study, it came out in a nature journal last month. And that's probably why you saw us in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and whatnot, because we finally mapped out the menopause transition in women and we showed like in a nutshell, it was an enormous, enormous paper. But what we showed is that if we're premenopausal, your brain health, your brain energy, your brain volume is up here. There's a drop as women go through perimenopause with the hot flashes and the insomnia and the symptoms. But then, there, then there's a recovery, which I found really fascinating because I had never seen something good <laughs> happening with aging. You know, we're getting older, but instead of declining, the brain is actually compensating for menopause, is overcoming menopause, has the ability, has the uncelebrated ability to adjust to menopause, which is also the reason that the symptoms go away for most women. And so we mapped this out, we mapped out the transition, and I think it was quite beautiful in a way to provide hope and just clarify that, yes, your brain is changing and we want to validate that because so many women just don't know what's happening to them at that stage in their life, as in puberty and pregnancy, by the way. I don't know if you want to talk about pregnancy, but I find pregnancy wonderful from a neurological perspective. And the symptoms go away in the vast majority of cases. And this is something we should really celebrate because we spend 
over a third of our lives as women in a postmenopausal stage. And we're conditioned to think, you know, menopause is something that's really bad for you, right? And that's again, bikini medicine. You're no longer reproductive. You're not longer fertile. So there must be something bad with you. You've lost, you're past your peak. And I think it's about time that we really change the way that we think about women as children bearing machines to some to people who really have a lot to contribute and who are very intellectually important for society and obviously as mothers, as sisters, as daughters, like you said, as friends. You know, we just had a speaker come on Mind Valley, Miriam Gubadikova, and she's an expert in fasting for women. And uh, she spoke about how so many women embrace intermittent fasting the way men are supposed to do it. But for women, she says, it's meant to be a completely different approach. And if you follow the rule book for men, it's not the healthiest option. And so when it comes to other aspects, nutrition, because you also wrote a book called Brain Food, The Surprise (laughs) Science of Eating for Cognitive Power. When it comes to exercise, to nutrition, are there different things that women should be aware of? Is there a slightly different rule book? Yeah, I think that lifestyle is very personal. But science has shown that there are gender differences in the way that their body metabolizes food, for example, the same way that there are gender differences in the way they metabolize medicines, for example. Uh, Women are, on average, more efficient. This is the official term. They're more, more efficient at burning carbs at any age relative to men, which is not saying that every single woman is a carb burning machine, but on average, because of our estrogens, I think we we burn carbohydrates better, which is more efficient. Our mitochondria are more efficient at burning sugars, whereas men's bodies tend to be more efficient at burning fat. And again, they're not absolute, but it's something that people have used to explain why so many men really thrive on high fat diets whereas the response for women is much more variable. For example, mm-hmm. it depends on age, it depends on whether or not you're before and after menopause, it depends on how much you exercise. But I think something that, that is positive and has been shown time and time again is that women have an even higher need for antioxidant nutrients. And I don't know if you've seen this wonderful paper that just came out in neurology and was uh, featured in the New York Times this morning, showing the flavanols are really key to slowing down brain aging for men and women. But our research and what research has shown that women specifically need these antioxidant nutrients. And the reason is Estrogens are not just responsible for reproduction. They're also responsible for energy levels. And so is testosterone for men. But women lose their estrogen at some point in their lives during menopause, or at least they have less estrogens than they had before. So our needs for antioxidant nutrients increase with age. And mm-hmm. antioxidants are vitamins like vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, all the antioxidant minerals, and basically eat the rainbow, you know, like people say eat the rainbow is actually a very good rule of thumb to make sure that you have enough antioxidants in your diet. And then of course, I'm all for optimizing your diet to really get the superfoods that are richer in nutrients and specifically so, antioxidants. Like, so you mentioned, like you mentioned flavonoids. These are found in high concentration in grapes, red wine, cocoa, right. tea. Mm-hmm. Is this, I was is also right? thinking about 5-HTP. 
if it's good for taking it for a long time. Is it, Dr. Lisa, 5-HTP? I don't know that there's a lot of research for women, but it definitely cannot hurt. Why not? Yeah. For example, on me, it has a very good impact. I don't get stressed anymore, which is my biggest problem. And actually, I was just thinking about a question to ask you. Is there a way that you recommend for women to uh, deal with stress? Because sometimes I can see changes in my body. For example, if I have a month that I'm very, very stressed, my menstruation is not coming in the same day that it has to. So what is your, your thinking about this? I think we don't talk about this enough, about the connection between stress and hormones. But it's really important to realize that stress literally steals your sex hormones. And the reason is that they work in balance. So whenever you're stressed, your body is driven to produce more cortisol, which is the main stress hormone. And in order to increase production of cortisol, it needs to suppress production of estrogens, for example, because again, they work in balance. The body needs to use the same precursor, which is pregnenolone, to make either sex hormones or cortisol. And that's perhaps something that could explain with your experience in that if you're very stressed, your menstrual cycle is affected by that. And there's a lot of research showing that high chronic stress levels and high cortisol production for a long amount of time is also negative consequences on brain health, especially for women. So there are studies with brain scans that looked at middle-aged individuals and middle age, I just want to clarify, is any age between 35 and 65. So it's not 70, you know, <laughs> middle age is, is young. <laughs> and the studies show that there's a very strong correlation between high cortisol levels and brain shrinkage already in midlife for both men and women. But then the brain triggers memory decline only in women with very high stress levels. So it looks like women's brains are very vulnerable to the effects of stress. And this is something that we need to to really consider because stress is something that is in big part modifiable. We have control over a lot of factors that could really produce stress. I mean, there are things we can't control, but a lot of stressors are transient, right? Like stress, sometimes you get so stressed out about something and then you don't even remember it two weeks later. So I think it's really important to find ways to cultivate mental well-being. Lisa, you've written two books. There's The XX Brain, and then your second book is called Brain Food. That's right. I'm wondering, is there specific nutrients or foods that you suggest women have to be paying attention to, to add to their diet? Foods, nutrients, supplements, anything of that sort? Yes. So antioxidants would be my number one choice. And foods that are rich in antioxidants are fruits and vegetables. And that's, that's pretty much the rule. And nuts and seeds are also helpful, some nuts and seeds, but really fruits and veggies. And some are more concentrated than others. And we all know like blueberries, right? Everybody thinks about blueberries. But for example, blackberries have a higher antioxidant power than blueberries have. And they're just as palatable, I think. I mean, being Italian, I'm I'm a big blackberry person. But then goji berries are the most concentrated source of vitamin C pretty much on the planet. Amla, and that's Indian gooseberries, I think are even 
more antioxidants. Coffee is a fantastic source of antioxidants, especially a doppio espresso or even a single espresso is the beverage with the highest antioxidant power of, of all beverages. Even Sounds more than- like a true Italian. But yes, but it, but it has to be, you know, it's espresso. I'm not saying Starbucks coffee. It has take, to be. If we take an Americano style, are uh, you saying it's not as powerful as Italian coffee? So the amount of caffeine is actually higher, but they think because it's so diluted and the coffee has been prepared differently, it just loses some of the nutrients. Right. <laughs> so drink coffee like an Italian. I don't yeah. know if I trust you on that fact. You know what we do in Italy? We actually have our espresso, like a single shot in a little glass uh-huh. glass cup. And then we add cold milk. Like I don't drink cow's milk, but I do oat milk. And since there's a little bit of fat, the fat releases, slows down the release of caffeine to the brain. So you don't get the jitters, but you get the antioxidants effect for a longer period of time, which is actually the rationale behind the bulletproof coffee, Dave Asprey. Right, right, right. That's that, okay. So yeah. that's a really, really, really good tip. And earlier you were mentioning flavonoids, and I was just yeah. going deeper. It's found in grapes, red wine, cocoa, and tea. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of chocolate, like raw dark chocolate. But, but just before we go there, but when you say that flavonoids are more important for women than for men. Flavonoids are important for everybody. Antioxidants are, are important for both genders. It's just the women need more of them, like quantitatively. You want to have more in your diet because your brain needs more of them, your body needs more of them, especially as we get older. But they're important for everyone. <laughs> and yeah, so chocolate, like raw dark chocolate, is an excellent source of antioxidants, including flavonols. So flavonols are a type a nutrient that also has an antioxidant property. And then Bianca, mentioned, Bianca mentioned 5-HTP and she had a question on 5-HTP. Are there any other special supplements that you recommend women take? My relationship with supplements, not as smooth as one would think. I am part of the Global Council for Brain Health of the AARP and the Alzheimer's Association. And they convened I think we were like 36 scientists, like biology-based neuroscience scientists. We had this round table reviewing the evidence on supplements. And the bottom line is that supplements cannot replace a healthy diet. And the vast majority of scientists are actually against using supplements for brain health, unless you have a specific deficiency. Now, I'm a little bit more flexible because I see in the research that the recommendations that you get from the government are not necessarily optimal for brain health. There's a lot of research, including my own, showing that they tend to underestimate the amount of nutrients that you need to have in your diet to really prevent brain aging and dementia, for example, to really support your brain against depression or mood swings. So I would up those recommendations a bit, but this that is- would be to get them from your diet. And if you're deficient, you can get tested. So I'm for testing. And I believe you guys are too, right? Quantified. You're for what? Say that again. Quantification and testing. When you come to a clinic, I would do a number of tests. We've run a lot of tests with blood, plasma, and serum. 
and we do dietary questionnaires as well. And we measure all these important nutrients for you. And then if there's any deficiency or sub-deficiency or something is not optimal, we would work to address it. But for you, I wouldn't say you should take 500 milligrams of vitamin C every day and Bianca should take a thousand. It depends. Like if we want to just have a solid baseline, then 200 mg of vitamin C a day is the minimum that we should, you know, have in our our system. But then let's optimize. So Lisa, Lisa, I want to go back. Okay, we love controversy. So (laughs) you said something very controversial because we have had so many neuroscientists, so many health experts come and talk about supplements. Some of them also sell supplements. Mind out, I don't... I don't care. There's no business interest here. I just want to provide the best information for our audience. We've had Dr. Daniel Amen come and give us people a list of supplements that they should take. We've had Sean Stevenson, who wrote multiple best-selling books on health and nutrition. We have had other uh, neuroscientists, both male and female, come on. So I want to know your thoughts on supplements. Which do you think? And I want you to be purely honest here. Don't... Well, I'm not selling anything, so oh, I have no yeah, Exactly. Don't go <laughs> on the topic. I want to know what supplements you think are overhyped, what supplements you think might have some validity, mm. and if we are already eating a healthy diet, are there any supplements that we need to take because of the drop in nutritional quantity in a modern food supply? And also, what about the supplements that we can take for fitness? If they are good, in your opinion, and what do you recommend? I would ask that. I am not a fitness expert. I I would definitely defer to Sean for that. But as far as your brain is concerned, our take, and I think any clinical scientist, any person who runs a clinic would tell you that you have to have a healthy diet first. And when you say a healthy diet, maybe your idea of a healthy diet is not my idea of a healthy diet. So there are many different diets, right? And, you know, a vegan diet can be very healthy, but we know that there's a risk for certain nutrient deficiencies, like vitamin B12. It's hard to get vitamin B12 by eating only plants. So in that case, I would recommend a B12 supplement. And I personally, i being on and off vegan for a plant-based and plant-based for a while. And so my favorite supplement, and I have absolutely no reason to recommend this other than I personally like it, is my kind organics. They have a vitamin B12 spray that is very safe. It's very clean. The ingredients are great. They're just great uh, clean ingredients. And I, I prefer liquid supplements because they're more bioavailable and it's easier to absorb them. So B12 is something that lots of people should look into because our ability to absorb B12 declines with age and with certain conditions. Like if you have GI issues, it's very likely that your stomach and your guts may not be able to absorb the B12. So that's a good supplement that I would say everybody can look into. Get tested if you can. Um, Take a look at your diet, perhaps work with a nutritionist or better in RD in this case, because they can do tests or not and see if you need them. B vitamins in general, B6, B9, which is folate and B12 are very important anti-aging vitamins. They're water soluble. 
So there's no risk to overdose on the vitamins. Whereas the antioxidants like the vitamin C and the vitamin E are fat soluble. So you don't want to overdo it because they can become toxic in very high amounts, very, very high. Omega-3 fatty acids are something that we recommend in some cases. I think it's safe to recommend as long as nobody's taking aspirin or there's an existing cardiovascular condition, the same for vitamin E. They're vasodilators and they're, they're blood thinners as well. So this is something to, to keep in mind. Omega-3 is important. We usually recommend a DHA-EPA complex. And again, if you're vegan or you don't eat fish, that's a really important supplement to, to take regularly, I think, unless you're able to really, really compensate by eating a ton of hemp seeds and, and whatnot. And I'm very disciplined with my diet and I had a hard time getting enough omega-3s from a fully plant-based diet. So this is something that I would recommend for sure. Now, there's a lot of supplements that are hyped, like you said. I see. So firstly, thank you for that. And thank you for not being afraid to challenge what I believe, because I'm a big advocate of supplements. I don't well, run a supplement. Okay. Well, let's talk about that, because I don't really know what, what most people do, honestly. I know, you know, in my experience, lots of patients, lot, lots of participants come to us and they're taking multivitamins and then they take more vitamins on top of the multivitamin. And then they take, I mean, they come with a whole arsenal of pills and things and tools and do you need them? I don't know unless I test you. You know, so what do you take? What, what are your, I'll tell you what I think about yourself. <laughs> like, I, I don't take any unless I need to. So. No, that's great. So when, when Dr. Daniel Lehman was, was on a podcast, he suggested this, uh, 5,000 milligrams of vitamin D3. Okay, so that was number one. D3, uh, assuming you're not in the sun during the day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a brown person who lives in Northern Europe. So I need D3. Right. Well, I think everybody does to some, some, I, I live in New York. So my doctor, actually, you know what? I was taking D2 supplements, D3 and D2 supplements. And my doctor said to me, just don't waste money on that. Really? But I thought, I thought <laughs> if you have darker skin, if you have darker skin and you, if you live in areas with less sunlight, you need to supplement with D3. Yeah. Because- also if you have light skin, actually it takes even longer. Really? So that's something interesting. Now, what Dr. Daniel Amen said is that darker skin needs more sun to produce vitamin D. That's the reason why people of Indian and African ethnicity who move to North America are more susceptible mm. to colds, flus, and even COVID-19. Mm. Oh, come, I see. Yeah. So that was one. Now, the second thing he said was... These supplements, I think, are important for everyone. I don't know about the specific blanket dose for everybody, but... If you're not going outside enough and we're all stuck at home, you know, we, we come from a year of lockdown. I think it is important to. It is important. Yeah. And the second thing he said is zinc, 20 milligrams a day. Every day. Okay. Would you recommend that? Every single day? Yeah. 20 milligrams a day. It depends for what. I think he's probably thinking more holistically. He said for immune. So this, this interview was on boosting immunity. So he said to help your immune system fight off viruses. So it's an important conversation right now as the area is raging. Yeah. So that's different though than doing it for life. Like I think what he's saying is that if you want to boost your immune system for whatever reason. In the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. So that's what I was trying to say. So I think of 
supplements and nutritionist function, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to address a specific concern, then there are some specific nutrients and supplements that can help you address that concern. Now, do you have to take zinc every single day for your entire life? Maybe not. For instance, in brain research, we know that if your intake of zinc, iron, and copper is too high, that's actually associated with a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease later in life. Now, how high is too high? It depends. It depends on how often you take it, how you supplement. So it depends. I think what he was saying is that especially now that we all are at risk for infections, then taking zinc could be a way to support your immune system in this phase of your life. And then he mentioned liposomal vitamin C, 2000. Yeah. Let me see what I was saying as well. That would be antioxidants, vitamin C, vitamin E. They're both really important at any stage of life. And also maybe he mentioned that, I don't know, but especially for former smokers. So you're in Europe. I come from Europe. Everybody was smoking when I was growing up. And I think it's really important to consider Supplements, which is something I also wrote in my book, if you are a former smoker, if you're exposed to environmental toxins, because that seems to be quite protective. Also, smoking is the number one cause of early menopause in women. So that's also something that we should really address. And it's better for men and women, not just women. And then he mentions probiotics and prebiotics. And again, this was... Okay, so these are very logical supplements. Yes, I thought you were thinking about, you know, these preparations that are all mixed together and they say that they're going to improve your IQ by three points by drinking them three months. Yes, yes. So so Dr. Daniel checks out. His book checks out. That's great. No, probiotics, of course. I actually take probiotics every single day. Probiotics and prebiotics in the same the preparation that would strongly recommend that is really helpful. Even if you eat a healthy diet, it's really complicated to get enough probiotics from your diet daily, unless you really put an effort to eat like, you know, yogurt or tempeh or sauerkraut. Who does that? I mean, I'm sure some people do, but oh. I probiotic could really help. These are very logical supplements to me. You mentioned, you mentioned this panel of scientists that came together to discuss supplements yeah. at the brain. And they said that, that there's really, they can't recommend it. So now let's talk about some of the things which, which you, I want to hear your honest thoughts. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> there are companies like Onnit. I think it was co-founded by Joe Rogan and they sell something called Alpha Brain and it claims to boost memory and focus. And it's, it's a big, it's a bestseller. What are your thoughts on supplements like Alpha Brain or these other supplements that claim to boost your brain power? I don't know. Alpha Brain, I don't think it was on the list of, of supplements that we reviewed. I see. I think what I would like to see is actual clinical trials. So for me as a scientist, whenever I make any sort of statement or claim, I really have to back it up with very strong data. Like I need to run a trial, I need to have a p-value, I need to have hundreds if not thousands of people in the study. There has to be a certain effect size, there has to be replicability, there has to be information on short-term and long-term effects and toxicity and bioavailability and whatnot. That's what the scientist wants to see. If you don't have this information, I get it. But as a scientist, it's hard to say, Oh, yeah, I totally believe that that's what the supplement is doing. You know, it's very hard to change the brain. 
we have drugs. We have actual FDA-approved medications. They're trying to improve memory and change functionality. And the vast majority of clinical trials is just not satisfactory. I think there's a lot of stress in this field because we're trying to prove that certain things and certain nutrients can really support brain health. And we can never make it through. <laughs> the FDA is always like, no, 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 no. So I don't know. I think it depends on standards. Like what do you consider a good solution for brain fog? Is it something that makes you feel better for three months and then you get the brain fog again? It, it depends on what you think is effective. Like what are the results that you want? Like I believe in turmeric more. Like somebody said, MCT oil, coconut oil, turmeric. Those foods have not been over-tested in clinical trials, but we have thousands and thousands of years of populations using them. And wow. India is one of the countries with the lowest rates of Alzheimer's disease in the world. And what their diet, of course, there are many different factors involved, but a lot of people believe that their diet that is so rich in antioxidant and antibacterial and anti-inflammatory nutrients are from turmeric might in part explain that, which is also accounting for longevity. So if you say to me, should I eat turmeric seven times a week? I was like, well, if you like it, that doesn't hurt, has no side effects. And this seems to be a very important brain protective nutrient. Can you eat your nutrients instead of spending money on pills? That's up to you. And look, there's a continuum between science and wellness, right? So there's science, very hardcore science that turns a little bit into wellness. There's an intersection and then there's actual wellness with a lot of marketing. I tend to stay away from marketing. Things that, you know, in the gray area, I'm comfortable with and willing to explore. But something that we always say as scientists is that if somebody is trying to sell you a product, their information is not necessarily as reliable as the information that comes from somebody who has no financial interest in the product. And a lot of these cocktails or nutrients are just nutrients that actually make a lot of sense. They're just combined together in one product, right? But you could also obtain the same exact nutrients from foods if you change your diet to obtain those foods. So I don't know, it's just... No, that was a good overview. Now, I want to bring up a couple of members of our audience to ask questions. I've selected two questions, and the first is on Brain Fog by Tina. Tina, you are now a panelist. You can turn on your camera and ask your question to Dr. Lisa Mosconi. Yes, I wanted to ask about the uh, brain fog, which I suffer quite a lot. And mm. are there any specific nutrients for that or anything? The brain fog, I think it depends on why you have it, right? So something that is really important is to go to the root causes of whatever symptom. We use the term brain fog to describe a number of different experiences that may be caused by different things, like... Something very simple is dehydration. Could, could it be that you're mildly dehydrated and you don't know yet, or you just don't, you drink purified water instead of water with electrolytes and that's causing mild or chronic dehydration and that's a big trigger for brain fog. That could be one reason. Another reason could be hormonal. A lot of people, many women have hormonal fluctuations and hormonal swings or hormonal related conditions that, may not respond to drinking water, of course, but may respond to 
foods or nutrients that support hormonal production. So for example, since you guys seem to be really interested in foods, something we don't talk about very often is that some foods contain estrogens in the form of phytoestrogens or estrogens from plants. And there's a lot of research showing that diets that are mostly plant-centric because the phytoestrogens obviously come from plants. So a plant-centric diet supplies more plant-based estrogens than other diets. And these diets in particular are associated with improved women's health across all different organ systems, including brain health. And that's something we might want to look into. I'm not suggesting soy because it's an allergen. It's very highly polluted in the United States, although fermented organic soy seems to be safe and well-tolerated and helpful. And is definitely the best, the richest source of phytoestrogens. But there are other foods that contain lignans, for example. Lignans are different phytoestrogens. They have similar properties and they're very well tolerated and they can come from flax seeds, hemp seeds, legumes, chickpeas, dried apricots for whatever reason, and in general, uh, whole grains and fruit. And that seems to be helpful for women who are experiencing neurological systems related to hormonal health. Brain fog could be for an, a ton of other things, could be inflammation, could be that your gut microbiome is having trouble. It could be that you're experiencing a UTI. Maybe you have a silent UTI and you just don't know that because it's silent, right? You need to get tested to find out if you have bacteria in your system. So it depends. I, I, would, put you, I would put you in a scanner, to be honest, if you're like in your other 35 and we, we should do a thorough assessment and find out. What's that? So I'm going to bring up the next person, which is Job Pozos. Job has a question on fasting and the female brain. So Job, you are now a panelist. Okay. Um, he's making me do it. <laughs> can you talk about fasting on the female brain? Can I talk about it? Sure. Fasting, also known as sleeping <laughs> for many of us. So fasting seems to be quite helpful to reduce inflammatory conditions and to stabilize blood sugar levels in some people. I think there are several different ways to fast and it's important to find the way that is best for you, right? There are different paradigms, but the science really shows that just giving your body a certain amount of time to just reset when your stomach is not busy metabolizing food, it really helps kind of stabilize your homeostasis throughout your body. And your brain also is not, can relax because it doesn't have to support digestion for that period of time, which is, if I happen to be working in wellness, I could say that it's a very healing moment of the day. Now, a while ago, a while back, we all used to fast in a way because at night people were just not eating. So you would have an early dinner, then go to bed and refrain from eating throughout the night for a solid 10 hours or longer than that. In our society, there's a tendency to just keep snacking and keep consuming foods, which leads to overeating, overindulging, sometimes insulin resistance, sometimes fat accumulation. It's pretty hard to reverse. So many, um, many professionals recommend to consider fasting and the word fasting is intimidating in some ways because it's like oh my gosh I'm going on a cleanse I can't touch food it's, it turns into a big deal 
we're just refraining from eating for a certain amount of time seems to be quite effective. Gentler, for sure, than a 14-hour fast every night for three months, which is more like a clinical trial would do. But I think overall is helpful. And whether or not it's different for women and men, I think, I think it differs between people. Different people have different, different tolerances. And for women, I think what's, what's interesting to me is the connection between our metabolic activity and their cyclicity. Mm-hmm. Right? For example, for women with a cycle, with a menstrual cycle, the first half of the month, we can eat more and metabolize more. Whereas the second half of the cycle, estrogen goes down, progesterone goes up, and there's a slowing down of metabolic activity. So in that part of the cycle, we're more sensitive to stimulants, for example, like coffee or alcohol. If you drink the same amount that you were drinking during the first half of your cycle, you just feel it more. Right. Not necessarily in a good way. So you, or you feel it less for some women, and then you just keep drinking, drinking, drinking. The same with food. So I think it's really important to adjust diet and whatever we do around diet to our own personal individuality. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, though, for your, your beautiful question. Lisa, thank you so much. We are down to the final three minutes, and I want to respect your time. Any closing words for us? I think you should have more and more scientists on the show who can really provide their own perspectives on wellness. I think as scientists, it's a little tricky for us to comment on non-existing data in many ways. I really, I enjoy wellness. I I think I'm quite open-minded as a scientist, and I think there's a lot of good information that comes from it, but we also need to have rigorous assessments before we put our money into a lot of stuff that we don't quite need. That said, as a brain scientist, as a neuroscientist, I would really encourage everyone to think more of their brains as a muscle. Because there are things that you can do to really make it stronger. You can feed it properly. You can feed your brain properly. You can exercise it properly. And I wish that Bianca had a chance to talk more about exercise and physical activity and how important it is for for brain health. But there are so many things that can take care of your brain properly. And your brain will perform so much better for you at any age and really for, for the long term. One thing I really want to stress is that your healthy midlife is the best predictor of your health for the rest of your life. So this is really the time to put effort into your health. And if you need to invest in something, I would recommend invest in things that everybody agrees is good for you. Scientists, wellness experts, your favorite Instagram page. If everybody agrees that something is good for you, I would say go for it, right? And also get tested. And if you feel like, being part of research is important. Reach out to us. We're working with hundreds and hundreds of people. We do brain scans. We do all sorts of evaluations using a precision medicine approach, which I think is what everybody's hoping for moving forward that could really help each person as their own being. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, 
Take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.